Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like expanding capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and biodiesel in Washington state and bringing massive new infrastructure online in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So it's the last episode of 2020. You want to know how this year made me feel? Powerless. Powerless when my Fox News watching quarantine hating mom showed up for the holidays, possibly bringing a lump of COVID as a stocking stuffer. Powerless to stop Donald Trump from tweeting inane coup conspiracies. Powerless that I may never see the next Bond movie or Top Gun 2 on the big screen. So where am I supposed to turn in moments like these, if not to Tom Cruise? For some people, religion helps. Not so for me. Others turn to therapy. And let me say, I'm an Olympic blocker of feelings. And then there's astrology. Astrology is a more than $2 billion industry in the U.S., which makes it smaller than greeting cards, but larger than podcasting. I was somewhat skeptical, but thought, what the hell? Why not try a birth chart reading? So I turned to one of today's most prominent astrologers, Jani Nicholas. She has a best-selling book, a Netflix deal, and a new app named after her. Before I talked to her, I decided to sneak a peek at my horoscope online. It said, today brings good energy for clarifying feelings and coming to agreement. Nope, not accurate. Not at all. Well, I don't know what exactly it is you're looking at, but there's a way in which astrologers began to speak to the masses and the ways in which astrologers realized we could speak to people en masse was to boil everything down to somebody's sun sign, which means the sign that the sun was in when you were born. I'm Sagittarius. And, that's, that's all they needed to know was that I'm Sagittarius. Right, right. And so it was like an opener. It was like a gateway drug. It was only supposed to be a little tidbit, today. not like your whole being or or what's going on with you completely. It's one tiny aspect of your entire astrological chart. So you needed all my details ahead of time, which was the exact time, date, and location of my birth. Why do you need all that information? I pull up a map of the sky the moment that you were born, and it has every single planet and how the sky looked and which which planets were in the sky, which planets weren't in the sky, their relationships to each other. And so it's about how bright they were, if they were hidden, if they were available, uh, what part of the cycle that they were in in their own rotations around the sun. Like, it's a very specific type of art. So, like, each sign has a planet that rules it. And if you, if a certain sign is... Sun or... Sun, Mercury, Moon, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. And so if you have a certain planet that's rising up over the horizon, there's a planet that's in charge of that sign. And wherever that planet is saying, look, if the person doesn't go to this type of arena in their life, they're probably not going to feel like they've lived out their purpose. And that becomes one of the most important arenas for them to understand, live out, and accept, and do their thing in. And there's different astrologies. Like in India, they've had a tradition that has gone unbroken for thousands of years. 
What happened in the West is that it got broken off from its traditional roots to a certain degree, and we're only now in a kind of Renaissance period where we're remembering and relearning the ancient texts and the ancient astrology that's actually much closer to what they practice in India than what modern astrology became in the West. Why did it break off? So astrology had to go underground for a lot of different reasons, and a lot of it has to do with religion. A lot of it had to do with Christianity. A lot of the traditions kind of stopped. And then what happened is psychology became really popular. Jung, Freud, like, and Jung actually was interested in astrology at some point. He didn't believe in it. And then he was like, oh, there's actually something to this. And so Jungian theories and ways of knowing influenced the astrology in the West. And so we're kind of repairing all of that and remembering and getting reintroduced to these older ways of doing it. So let's talk about astrology as a business. Astrologer isn't usually a major in college or career path. So when did you first decide to do this? Yeah, it's kind of cool to be an astrologer now. It wasn't like that when I was coming up. It wasn't a career that I wanted. It wasn't something that I thought was a career. And so I always did astrology throughout my 20s and 30s, but it wasn't something that I thought I should go into full-time because I wanted to be something that was more professional. And so when did you decide that, that it should be a profession? I think after dropping out of like my third grad school program and spending a lot of money and realizing that I could just put it all into my business. So I had been doing readings for years and I had been writing horoscopes and I had been doing things, but I didn't really sink all of myself into it. Because why? Were you nervous that people would, that it wasn't a profession? Well, I grew up in a town in British Columbia that was so alternative, and it was like San Francisco times a gajillion. Oh, that's a lot, then. I live in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> ah, naked people wandering the streets. Sure, yes, why not? that was my childhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I was like, I, I get the alternative thing. Like, it's not that cool to me. I actually want to be a professional person in the world. And so it just took me a long time to accept it as the thing that I was— you're going to be. Do you yeah. have to train to be an astrologer? Is there a certificate? You should. Okay. Explain how people do that. Well, now you can take, you know, courses online with incredible astrologers that have knowledge that we didn't even have 30 years ago. So you find a teacher and then you study with them. Did you train? Did you yourself train? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've trained with a lot of different people. I spent like five years training under the astrologer, Demetra George. Mm -hmm. I'm also always studying. What kind of reactions do people have when you tell them you're an astrologer? It depends on what circles I'm in. I mean, I definitely have people that give me very strange looks and think that I'm like some sort of charlatan or something. There is that old fear stuff that comes up with people. Well, what do you say then if a person who's not just a skeptic, but say you're a scam? What do yeah, you, they don't usually say it to your face. Yeah, yeah. But what do you say to the skeptics? I don't care. Like, you don't have to like astrology. You don't have to believe in it. Like, what do I care? Just find something that works for you and heal. Like, we're all just so broken and fractured. We just all need healing. So I just want everyone to go find the thing that works for them and use it. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like, don't harm yourself or other people, but please find things that give you joy and 
give your life meaning. But you understand why people feel like that they could know stuff about you and then tell you what you're like from, since there's so much information. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Like, why would this work? How, how could this be possible? But, but you know, you're marked in a certain way, I think. And of course there's mystery around it. And if there's mystery around something, then it can be really nebulous and like, Ooh, what does it mean? But actually astrology is like, look, if you have this planet, around this thing, it's going to be this. It's going to be some form of this. Right. So you're making an observational. Yeah. It's not me saying, oh, I think I feel this thing from you. Like, it'd be better if I didn't know who you were. Right, right. But because a lot of stuff you can't find out from my Twitter feed. You can guess. Exactly. Of course. Like very educated guesses about my personality. Of course. And so this is just like, at this point, affirming. Because if you opened my book, it would say the same thing. So it's not my personal opinion of you. It's what is happening here. Okay, but you have broken into the mainstream. Most people do believe you and, and have amassed a huge following away. Few other astrologers have. You have a deal with Netflix. You write for Oprah Magazine. You read celebrity birth charts. Take me through what got you there. Well, I think I had that moment of there weren't a lot of astrologers online writing in a way that included the dynamics of the moment, which is to say, I wrote from a lens of saying there are injustices in the world. And I wrote from a place of things that I cared about. And I care about people. And I care about the fact that the systems we live within are unjust and cruel and harmful, and that we all have to operate within this. And how does that impact us? So not just when are you going to find love, that kind of Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't that I wasn't that astrology column. And because of that, I think it picked up. And honestly, the queer community, I think, was my, like, base and really helped to circulate the work. So how much do you charge for readings? At this point in my career, I actually don't charge for readings. Oh. I ask people to donate to whatever cause is going on. But my wife runs an organization called Free From that works with survivors of intimate partner violence at the intersection of economic justice and gender-based violence. And so I usually ask people to make a donation there. What do astrologers usually charge for readings? I think new, like young astrologers, I think probably charge about $100 up to like $450, five, six, I don't know. But they're not the bulk of my work anymore. So I teach stuff online, and now we're transitioning everything onto the app. Because? Because it's, because it's the way I wanted to do my business. Because it's like, it's the most fun for me. Because doing readings solely and just doing that, there's not as much engagement. So there's, the readings are like deep interpersonal one-on-one work that you do with folks. And then the stuff I do online, like I've been teaching astrology online for years and I do monthly courses. And now we're going to, we've put it all, we put it all into the app and it's me and a team of astrologers that wrote it. Um, And so it is an exploration through your chart. You can click on any planet. You can learn about anything in your chart. It also tells you what transits you're under. So if you went on it, it would be like, you have entered your Saturn return. And what does that necessarily mean for you? And We've been teaching astrology workshops on Dropbox for five years. It's so archaic, our business model. And so we're like, let's build a place for it so it can be in people's phones and they can have access to it. So I want people to have the tools of astrology without needing to go through me necessarily. And it's like you can test it to see if there's actually any validity here. How do you look at the competitive landscape like CoStar and the pattern? 
Well, I don't really, because I am coming into the app game having six years of an astrology business where I've been talking to people through recordings online for this entire time. And so I've built a relationship with my client base for years. So I am in my own league, if you will, because I'm coming at it from already having an established astrology business presence. We don't have any VC funding. This is all self-funded. It's all very self-directed, and it's very much all the work I've always been doing, but now it's just on an app. Has their being out there, the the other apps, made your job harder, like a co-star no. pattern? No. No, it makes it easier, actually. Why? Because it makes it more popular. Mm-hmm. And so then people are looking for more info. Right. And each astrologer, the people that work really hard at this, and this is their life, and this is their profession, we all put so much work into our business. And so the people that spend their life doing this, I think they get to be distinguished really easily. Right. Versus VC. You're not taking VC funding. Yeah. Nobody is directing this but us. Yeah. If you'd read the VC charts, you wouldn't like what you saw. Anyway, I can tell you that even without reading them. No comment. (laughs) No comment. Yeah, right. Got those guys. But when, but the traditional person who's an astrologer who wants to do this for like for a living and thinks this is a thing, is it a good living? I mean, it, I don't know people get into astrology to make money. I mean, you don't get into astrology to make money. Mm-hmm. But there has been a commodification of astrology. There's a and commodification this, of it. What, yeah. it, it what, what do I think of it? Yeah. It's what happens in capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism commodifies whatever it can. It doesn't care about the thing. It just wants to make money off of it. So is there always going to be inside capitalism people that don't care about the craft and just want to make a buck? Yeah. So I think you should really know where you're getting your astrology from, where you're getting your products from, where you're getting your stuff from. Well, how can someone spot a bad horoscope when you see one online? Again, it's all like personal experience. I don't know what's bad. Like, it's not up to me to say that necessarily, but I think it's really good to have relationships with the astrologers that you like, a relationship with their work, I mean, which is to say, like, over a long period of time, is it helpful? Or does it freak you out? Or does it just, like, say the things that you want to hear and not really actually get to anything that's... Truthful. Yeah. And can, like, challenge you in some way. Yeah. So just saying, you'll find a man, you'll do this. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly. Every year my mom went to astrology. She's been married twice. My father died. And she's like, he says, this year I'll meet a man. I'm like, she never met a man. And I just, I'm like, who are you talking to? And like, why is that your question? But in any case. My um, wife, there was an astrologer that she went she to. cheats on you from an astrology point of view? All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was before we met. And she was with a family member. And they wanted to know when she was going to get married and who she was going to marry. And the astrologer looked at her and was like, you're going to marry an American. And the astrologer did not say it was a man. Oh. <laughs> did not say it was a woman. They ah. looked at her and gave her this knowing look. Oh, like, well, that's a better one. I had one psychic tell me, uh, my husband will be great. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, good, I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Um, anyway, it's not distant from therapy. Do you view astrology as a form of therapy? I mean, it's not therapy, but it can be therapeutic. I think therapy is something you commit to for a certain amount of time and you do it regularly with that person. That's not what astrology is. Like astrology readings, you have 
I think you should only have them once in a while. I don't think you should get too many astrology readings. I don't think you should worry about it too much. But a therapist is somebody that you go to, you know, regularly and unpack things. Do you unpack things in an astrological reading? Absolutely. Do people have kind of better results sometimes with astrology readings than they have with years of therapy? Yeah, totally. But it's all about where the person's at and what's going on. So they are different approaches, but astrology can be deeply therapeutic and reflective. And if you need that kind of reflective moment, then astrology can be really healing. Because it, it can be used as very comforting or processing their lives or give people permission to make changes because it's like, ah, oh, the astrology said it versus listening in a therapy session. Do you feel a responsibility in that when you are doing these readings? Yeah, I feel a, a big responsibility f- when I do any of it, but I always want to center the person's free will and the person's agency. And so, like, giving readings in 2020 was really challenging because the astrology was so awful. It was like, I don't know if this is going to happen this year because it's really bad. I, like, it doesn't look like it's much is going to go. And so you want to couch that in like, but, you know, it's up to you and you can see how and what you want to do with it. But you want to lay out the landscape for somebody. But you don't ever want to say, this is what you should do within the landscape. That's up to you. I just want to kind of paint the picture. Right. You don't want to say, don't get married or don't do this business. Or no. Don't. I mean, who am I to say that? You know if you should get married and it's your lesson and it's all going to fall on your shoulders anyways. I don't have to deal with the result. Yeah. So you don't think that people would replace therapy with astrology? I don't think you should. They're very, they're different things and they're both, I think, needed and necessary. So millennials and Gen Zs really are into astrology. My kids don't have an issue with it, which is interesting. And I would say people between me and them have more questions about it. But why are millennials and Gen Zers into astrology? Well, I think that they have access to all of this knowledge at their fingertips in ways that I didn't, we didn't. And people are deeply interested in themselves. (laughs) So it's this way to feed like self-knowledge all the time or self-obsession, however you want to look at it. And also, if you grow up on the internet, you're going to grow up taking in a lot of astrological content because it's just everywhere. Right, right. So it's like, why wouldn't they? It's like, yeah, there's astrology. It's everywhere. That's all everybody talks about. It's in pop songs and it's on clothes. It's all over the place. So it's just also part of culture now. Why do you think it endures? Because I really believe that we are in deep need for a feeling of connection with the natural world. Like everything goes back to our relationship with with this planet and also with the sky and with the living things around us. Human beings were dependent on the cycles of the sun to live. We could follow the sky. We could understand what was rising when and what that meant for food cycles. It's a clock. And that's how we knew how we were, where we were, what time it was, when to do rituals, when to have festivals. It's a clock. And that's, I like that. Yeah, it's embedded in us. So when we talk about it, there, I think that there's some part of us that is like, oh, I remember that. That makes sense to me because at the winter solstice, It was a really important moment. It was when the sun started returning back to us and the days would start to get longer and food would start to come back eventually. Like it's just on a very practical level. We need to be in relationship with the sky and the earth and the water and all the things. And I think that astrology reminds us of that. 
One of the critiques often applied to organized religion, though, is people are blinding of reality or that people might follow it too closely without thinking for themselves. Yeah, but if we're prone to do that, aren't we going to do that with whatever? Some people will do it with Fox News. Some people will do it with their rabbi. Some people will do it with the astrology. Some people will do it with yoga. I mean, there's so many ways that we have to, like, check ourselves and make sure that we're thinking for ourselves and doing what is, you know, right for us and not buying into a system just because we want someone to tell us what to do. Right. We're afraid. And we that's a fear we have to just deal with on a human level, no matter what system we're talking about. Well, things are confusing. Yeah. When things are confusing, that's where people run to yeah. answers. Um, practicing astrology. What has it taught you about humans? That we all need at some point or another to have someone say, yeah, that's how you were made and that's perfect. Now go do your thing. Most of us need that in some way, shape, or form. Permission. And acknowledgement. Like, how great is it to be acknowledged for the gifts that you have and the tools that you have and what you can put to use? And I think I have found that a lot of people need to be that it's very beneficial for folks when you give them their power back and to remind folks not to give any one thing too much power over them and their lives and their choices. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, hit subscribe. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Brene Brown, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. After the break, Channy Nicholas reads my birth chart. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if the sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we've teamed up with The New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. All right, let's do it. What's in my chart? Let's start with me, because me, me, me. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll start with your Leo rising. <laughs> oh, well, well, there you go. 
So the rising sign is the most personal part of the chart. It's the part of the chart that's rising up over the horizon the moment we take our first breath and are pronounced alive. So we want to look to the rising sign to see, okay, this is the mark of life. This is the kind of like temperament that the person's going to come in with and also one of the motivations for living. And so when you have Leo rising, part of your deal is to shine. Mm. Part of your deal is to self-express. Part of your deal is also to be some kind of leader. That's especially important for you because you also have Mars, the planet of action and courage and vitality. And also Mars is the warrior. So you have this mark right off the bat of somebody who's going to be able to go into battle if necessary, take initiative when necessary, and needs to lead. Like if I was sitting with your mom when you were born, I would have been like, this little one is going to need to like show you where they want to go. Like this is a chart that's like, sorry, <laughs> I'm I'm not actually sorry. I'm just going to yeah. lead with this. Right. That's pretty true. <laughs> sorry, not sorry is one of my main mottos, of course. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sorry in the first yeah, place. Yeah, you know, ahead. I was just like, what? I'm here. Actually, no, and, sorry. You know, Mars is the Mars is the sword. Mars cuts. It's able to cut a new path also. It's able to, like, move in a direction that maybe nobody else does. And it doesn't have to, it's not into, like, asking other people where to go. It's like, I'm going this way. If you would like to come, I don't care, but I'm going. And then you also have the North Node next Ooh, to your rising. What's the North Node? The Node is where the eclipses happen. And so it's a point of desire, and it's a marker of having an appetite. And usually when people have this by their ascendant, there's a type of fame that's usually associated with them because there is a, a need to do whatever it is that the ascendant is doing, which again is to shine and to be to be seen, to be some kind of person that is out in the public and getting attention for what it is that you do. And it's also a point that can kind of, it's hard because there's a restlessness to it. And so your drive and your restlessness also might tire out the people around you, but it also is like, there's what can satisfy that? There's nothing actually that can satisfy it. So, you know, with age and time, we get to know our own appetites, which ones are helpful and which ones are like, okay, look, I'm just never going to be satisfied. So I'm going to put it to rest before it kind of makes me, you know, exhausted. Irritating aggression. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> That's about accurate, but I feel like you could get that from my Twitter. I feel like that's pretty much clear. <laughs> so what was it like to have that kind of thing as a child? Irritating for me. It was always being pushed down, trying to be pushed down and impossible to do so. It was constantly, you shouldn't be so loud. I think it was gendered for sure. I think it was she can't be controlled rather than celebrating those those aspects of being able to be in charge, being able to run things, being, uh, you know, it's typical with women, it's bossy. Like, I remember hearing that a lot. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, yeah, it was a problem. Yeah. And so it's definitely something that shapes you and marks your life. And it's something that you lead with forever. And it's the mark that you take with you. Then we look to the planet that rules that sign, Leo, 
So it's your sun in Sagittarius. And so Sagittarius is the seeker. It wants to learn. It wants to devour information. It wa- it's ever on the quest and on the journey. And your sun is in the fifth house of creative self-expression and also of children. So I don't know if you felt like having children was like... Uh, Critical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Do you do any other work with children? Like, does any no. of your... No, I just wanted to have kids, and a lot of them. I have three kids now. I might have one more. But I wanted to always have kids since I was little, constantly. I bought children's clothes when I was a teenager. Oh, my gosh. Because I wanted to be a teen mom, necessarily. But, you know, I wanted to be a... I wanted to get pregnant. I wanted to have children. I was very critical, which people thought was unusual because I work a lot, too. And so I, I didn't like when people said I couldn't have kids and work if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so it's interesting because you have all this leadership energy right up front, and then you have the sun that your life is steered towards the direction of creative self-expression, like this is who I am and this is how I need to express myself. So do you feel like that creative drive has also been one of the main focuses of your life? Oh, yeah. Yes. Expression, self-expression, for sure. Yeah. So that's one of the major marks. And then you were born under a full moon. It's a moon in Gemini. And what does Gemini do? It talks. It is literally the reporter. It is literally the one who's always exchanging information, giving and receiving data, and just constantly being in a conversation that is like driving you a thousand percent. And so these are the main like anchors of your chart. This is where we start. Um, and then we can go anywhere. So there's there's timing too. So you have just entered your second Saturn return. As of yesterday. Oh, my God. Really? I know. Okay. <laughs> so the first Saturn return happened for you between 1991 and 1993. And so everybody has a Saturn return around the end of their 20s and into the beginning of their 30s. And it's usually a time that marks our life in some fairly hefty kind of way. And it's about growing up and becoming an adult. And it's usually really formative. For you, the Saturn return occurs in the seventh house of committed partnerships. So that's marriages, that's any kind of business partnership, and any kind of platonic partnership. So that was the first Saturn return, and that kind of established you in your career. And now you're coming up to your second one. Okay, what does that mean? Well, the second one is really, it's this marker of, Saturn marks time. So the second Saturn return is always about, look, I now have these pretty much like three decades under my belt of this thing. And so I have become an expert at the thing that I began around the age of 28 to 30. And now that I have all of that wisdom and all of that time, what am I going to do with it? Is it typical at a time when people change a lot? Yeah. Or make changes? It's the make changes because it's like, look, this is, I have this much time on the earth. Like, I I can't, this is not a time to take for granted. Well, I did get married and have another baby this year. So, I mean, I feel like I'm I'm busy. I'm busy. I've been busy and started a new podcast. That's right. Okay. okay, Channy. Okay. I don't need your help. I I don't need any Saturn whatever returnings. I know Saturn. Saturn is late. It's late to the party here. (laughs) But what what questions do most people ask you about? Everybody wants to know if they're on the right path. Uh-huh. And a lot of people want to know about relationships. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to know about career. 
All right, then, well, let's ask that. Let's get back to me and my chart. <laughs> As I enter the new year, 2021, what do you see in my career? Am I on the right path, Jenny? <laughs> I'm teasing you. <laughs> okay, so really interesting is the planet of upheaval and change and like revolution and doing things very, very differently entered into your 10th house of career a couple of years ago. So I'm wondering what changed in your career in 20, I'm trying to pull up the date, 2017? Mm -hmm. Yes, that was a big year. What did you start? My podcasting. Ah, I think that was about great somewhere in there. So it was it was when it really started to take off. So it's been changing since then, and it'll keep changing. It'll change and, again, and I'll finally get to my ultimate career as a basketball star. That's my goal. <laughs> okay, that's your they Mars shine. in the first house. They shine, Jenny. It's the fact that I'm five foot nothing is I don't care. It's going to nope, happen no. for me. All right, so love life. Okay, love life. Well, you're good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Saturn just so Saturn entered this part of your chart of marriage back in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. March it was there March April March April May June into mm-hmm. July, into the first bit of July and mm-hmm. was that a yes, moment? Yes, I was of, supposed to get married and then we had to delay it because of so I I think there's a COVID part in here you you can uh-huh. add in the yeah. COVID months. So yeah, exactly. Yes, I did get married. Yeah, so. So that was the initiation of your Saturn return was mm-hmm. about commitment and partnerships, who you want to commit with, what has staying power, what has longevity. How's it going to go? You're good. You're solid. Good. Because I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, way too many relationships. Children, I got a lot of them. Well, this year, it's interesting. This year, you're moving into an 11th house year, which is about community and about your friends and the groups and the people that you work with and alongside. And it really does open up the potential of your moon, which is to say this year is really this moment of seeing the potential of all of your contacts and all of the ways in which all of the people that you've worked with over a long period of time are kind of coming together. But The ruler of your year is Mercury, and Mercury's in your fifth house of children. And so it feels like children become a big thing this year. You just had another baby, you said? Yeah, in October, last October. Yeah, Uh, congratulations. I know, right? But should I have another uh, kid? Definitely. Wow. I'm exhausted. I know. You don't have to, but obviously you can do what you want. But this year does pull focus on that part of your chart and what it means for you. And there might be a way in which you like to overdo the children thing, too. Yeah. Like... I want another kid. It doesn't matter. I want seven kids. I want to be like one of those like families that has seven. Eight is enough. Yeah. It was a big show when I was a kid. Yeah. So when do I get to relax? Can I? Oh, or not? It's just I'm going down. Fighting. This lifetime is not so relaxed? Oh, no. Really? I mean, do you feel like there's going to be a point at which no, you just relax? I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really see that for you. <laughs> anyway. anyway, this has been really delightful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Thank it. You. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naeem Araza, Hiba El Arbani, Matt Kwong, and Vishaka Darba. Edited by Paula Schumann. With music and sound design by Isaac Jones and engineering by Eric Gomez. 
fact-checking by Michelle Harris and Kate Sinclair. Special thanks to Renan Borelli, Liriel Higa, and Kathy Tu. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to subscribe to a podcast. So subscribe to this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, hopefully a lot faster than a Saturn return, you can download a podcast app like Stitcher or Google Podcasts. Then search for Sway and hit subscribe. You'll get episodes every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening.